Hi, and welcome to the eFundamentals Digital Shelfcast, the only podcast dedicated to helping growth-driven CPGs win online. My name is Julia Glotz, and I'll be your host for the show. Every episode, I'll be speaking with industry experts about the latest trends and challenges in digital commerce and how you can drive growth online. We've packed each show with practical insight you can apply straight away to keep you ahead. So make sure you subscribe today and don't miss out on any of our thought-provoking episodes. We're available on all major podcast platforms. Thanks for spending time with me today. And now let's jump straight into your monthly dose of e-commerce growth inspiration. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Digital Shelfcast. Thank you for joining us. In this episode, we're looking to answer one big and highly topical question. As a CPG brand, how do you win on Instacart? Now, the reason we're talking about Instacart today is because it's the big success story in e-grocery in 2020, and it continues to gather steam. Today, Instacart is the leading online grocery delivery service in the US, capturing over 48% of market share, according to Second Measure. And it's not difficult to see why. For retailers, Instacart takes the headache out of the last mile and allows them to offer home delivery with ease and minimal investment in infrastructure. For consumers, it's fast, it's super convenient, and during the pandemic offered a lifeline for those who were shielding. So Instacart is a force to be reckoned with. But how do you win on this platform as a CPG brand? What do you need to know? What should you focus on? And importantly, what mistakes should you avoid? To help us answer these questions and unravel some of the mystery around Instacart, we're joined by the Instacart expert. Kiri Masters is CEO and founder of Bobslet Marketing and one of the authors of the recently published book, Instacart for CMOs. Kiri, great to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Julia. It's great to be here. Now, before we start talking about Instacart, I'd love to just find out a little bit about your own online shopping habits. Tell me about the last item you purchased online, where you bought it, and what that experience was like. Oh, wow. What a great question. The last item I bought was some beauty products from a online store in Australia where I currently am called Adore Beauty. And it's sort of like the Sephora of Australia. That's been a good experience. I'm a repeat purchaser there and they offer all kinds of samples and and goodies whenever you buy something there. So I'm in it for the free stuff. <laughs> Fantastic. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Now, you have recently published your book on Instacart, which is a great read, by the way. Um, and we'll dive into the key findings and lessons from that book throughout the episode. But let me just start you with this. You are someone who was clearly very much immersed in all things Instacart already. What surprised you the most while writing and researching your book? What did you learn that you didn't know before? In 2020, there was a lot of interest in Instacart from CPG brands, including a lot of the brands that we work with at Bobsled Marketing. But in researching the opportunity for us as an agency of whether we should support this new platform, we discovered it does look very interesting. A lot of brands are jumping on board with this platform. There is an emerging retail media platform that's being built and invested in by the Instacart team. There's very little information about how Instacart can be optimised for a CPG brand, what's really possible, what are the levers that you can pull. 
and there was a real white space around this topic which was getting more and more important for CPG brands. Once we started looking into the opportunity, there's a few unique aspects of Instacart that are very compelling for a brand to look at as a media channel and as a distribution channel. That got the big tick of approval for us in terms of moving forward with supporting that platform for clients. And then also just from an education standpoint and delivering insights to clients and prospects around what does this channel demand from you with resourcing, it was a big wide open space. And you talk in your book on several occasions about how the pandemic really was this landmark moment as far as interest um, in Instacart is, is concerned. Just talk a little bit about what happened, particularly during the pandemic, that saw Instacart suddenly come to such prominence. Going back a year ago, we we're all locked down at home and a lot of groups of People were starting to order groceries online, especially in the US. That was a bit of a niche use case. There weren't so many people doing that. And, and of course, during the pandemic, lots of new demographics started to adopt online grocery shopping, including the elderly. So new habits started to be formed during that time. And if you recall, in that period of time, before we understood exactly how the coronavirus worked, people were wiping down their grocery deliveries with Clorox wipes and and that kind of thing. So we were at home. We didn't want to go out to shop. And so people who'd never shopped on online for groceries before decided to try it. And that really was the catalyst for Instacart to become such a big feature of people's lives. At the same time, and it was pretty fortuitous timing, Instacart launched its self-serve ad platform. That was in May of 2020. And that was obviously something that had been in the works for a while, but great timing from their standpoint of being able to now offer retail brands the ability to target shoppers while they were searching for products and building their baskets in the app. And that really accelerated both Instacart and the brand selling on there while customers were changing their grocery shopping habits. Fantastic. And I think we'll get an opportunity to dive into that self-serve platform in a bit more detail later as well. But you've already mentioned that Instacart has this unique model that I think is quite important for CPG brands to understand and to get their head around. In your book, you describe this as a four-sided marketplace model. Can you just, in a nutshell, explain to our listeners what that model is, how it works, and how it's different from other marketplaces? Most marketplaces are two-sided. Amazon, for example, has a relationship between the third-party seller and the customer, or Amazon's retail inventory and the customer. And the same with Walmart and other marketplaces. Even eBay is a seller to a buyer, Etsy and so on and so forth. So most marketplaces are two-sided in that manner. Instacart is four-sided in that there's four stakeholders that interact with each other. You've got the end customer, the in-store shopper, who is the person picking the items and delivering them to you, the retailer, who the shopper is shopping at, so that could be Kroger or Costco, And finally, we have product advertisers who are generally the brand manufacturers. So the implication here for brands is this other 
stakeholder, well, there's two other stakeholders that typically don't appear in marketplaces, the in-store shoppers and retailers. And retailers have a very big impact on the success of a brand on Instacart from a availability standpoint, product information standpoint, and really controlling a larger part of the brand experience than a brand might be used to on other platforms where they have more control and more of a direct one-to-one collaboration with the customer. And I'm really interested in diving into some more detail around how brands can navigate that that relationship, not just with the retailer as one of those stakeholders, but also with the shopper actually doing the picking in store. But you've already talked about some of the behavior changes we saw during the pandemic that contributed to Instacart's success. Could you just briefly spell out from a shopper, from a consumer point of view, what is it about the Instacart model that is so compelling and attractive? Instacart is now available to 85% of US households and 70% of Canadian households. That footprint is achieved by a way of partnerships between Instacart and major retailers and smaller regional retailers as well. This network that they've acquired is very valuable because it means more people are able to, to shop on Instacart. So that's one piece of it is the penetration that Instacart has amongst both large and small retailers. Instacart was doing pretty well prior to the pandemic. One of the more compelling online grocery shopping options out there, of course, you've got Amazon Fresh and some other players, Peapod and Fresh Direct was a regional player in the northeast of the U.S., but Instacart had sort of the most reach from a footprint perspective. Another reason I think Instacart's been very successful is around their user interface. It's a great app to use. People like that experience. And it's really heavily geared around repurchasing, which has good um, implications down the road for brands as well who are advertising there. But for consumers, it's very easy to build the cart and to repurchase through the app. It's very seamless customer experience. Customers like the ability to interact with their in-store shopper when they need some more information about a product or substitution or something like that. It's a well-designed experience. And you already pointed out that, you know, Instacart is really driven by that retailer relationship. And it's not a marketplace where you as a CPG brand can just decide you want to be on. Can you just talk about this in a little bit more detail? How do you get to be on Instacart as a brand? What's the process? Yeah, so as you said, the retailers are the ones actually who are in charge of product availability and what is sold on Instacart. Instacart doesn't have a vendor relationship with any brands. All inventory is made available on Instacart through those retailer partnerships. So if you're a brand that isn't sold through one of those retailers, you're not going to be on Instacart. And and basically the, the answer there is to be in a position to distribute to those retailers. That's the long and short of it. It sort of precludes a lot of brands who are smaller, fledgling brands, but that's the dynamic of the relationship right now. Instacart gets a product feed from those retailers and inventory availability feeds from those retailers, and that's how their whole product catalogue is set up. 
And you mentioned in your book on several occasions just that, that importance of availability. Could you just go into this in a little bit more detail? What impact does availability have on your performance through Instacart? And what are perhaps some positive steps you might be able to take with your retail buyer to make mm. sure that, that you're getting that availability right? This is a source of frustration for brands because on other marketplaces, a brand will have a bit more control of inventory availability, what products are available for sale, the product content, pricing, things like that. And mileage varies by marketplace and even the selling relationship that you have with that marketplace. So a brand that's selling as a vendor to Amazon might have less control over those things than a seller. But with Instacart, there's none of that interface at all. So the opportunity for a brand to impact that availability is really working with those retail partners. And this is where it creates a little bit of a challenge internally in who owns that Instacart relationship, because you might think of it as a digital channel, but really so much of success on Instacart comes down to how committed are your retail partners to Instacart <laughs> and how sophisticated is their inventory availability systems. So you've got a lot riding on these retail partners and a lot out of your control. So developing that relationship, the sales team often has that experience with those retailers. So in a lot of cases, we see digital teams or e-commerce team or whoever is accountable for that Instacart channel needing to partner with their sales organizations a lot more closely than they do for any other marketplace channel. And is that something that you would recommend as best practice as well? You know, if you're a CPG brand trying to figure out how you can get Instacart perhaps a little bit higher up on your buyer's radar as well, it's mm. about having closer collaboration between those departments potentially. Yeah, absolutely. There's three models that we discovered speaking with. We interviewed 10 brands for this book and learnt uh, ranging from very large brands like Kellogg and Elf Cosmetics through to smaller challenger brands. And there was a variety of org structures in terms of where Instacart sat between sales and marketing teams. Ultimately, there needs to be collaboration between those teams because Yes, that retailer really sits between the brand and customer on Instacart. But at the same time, if the sales team is fully accountable for Instacart, they may not necessarily have that digital experience with retail media and um, product content and things like that, which are also necessary to be managed properly on Instacart as well. So in the ideal case is that there's great collaboration between those teams and shared KPIs and shared successes as well. But that's not always, that's not always the case. It's something that needs to be built and certainly sold to the organisation. Absolutely. Now, you said something a little earlier, which I thought was really interesting. When you talked about the four stakeholders in the Instacart model, one of them you identified as that in-store picker or shopper, essentially. Mm. And you mentioned that there is a much closer relationship between the consumer and that shopper or picker than you might get on other platforms. There can be 
exchanges about availability and suitable substitutions. Can you just talk about how that relationship works and what implications there are for brands? Yeah, so one story I came across, I think it was on Twitter, a customer had placed an order, grocery order, and the shopper in the store sent a message saying, oh, there's Clorox wipes available on the shelf. Do you want me to grab some for you? And this was at a time where Clorox wipes were out of stock everywhere and the end customer was delighted with that, of course. Yeah, grab me some of those. So the in-store shopper essentially upsold that customer in the best possible way. Now, it's not something that the in-store shoppers are compensated on, but it has caused some people to think, well, maybe maybe that could be a bit more of an advantage that Instacart leans into in the future as this sort of shopping companion I'm not sure if that's an interesting idea. One of the other points that you make throughout your book and that you made a little earlier on the podcast already is that, you know, as a brand, you really want to think about Instacart more as a media platform, something like a Facebook or a Google than a distribution channel. And that the primary way you you will typically be interacting with Instacart is as an advertiser. Which types of brands in which types of categories are typically well suited to advertising on Instacart? And are there any types of categories or types of brands that perhaps wouldn't be a good match? I've talked a lot about grocery and Instacart has expanded beyond grocery. And I think that they'll always have a firm footing in the grocery category, but they have expanded to other retailers, including Best Buy, an electronics retailer, and Sephora as well, a beauty retailer. So they're certainly moving beyond just the grocery category. So I think that there's one requirement, which is that your products are sold through these retailer partners, which is, you know, either have that or you don't. Beyond that, we've seen really great return on investment for brands advertising on Instacart. And the reason for that is, I think, partly due to the way that they're user interface encourages repeat purchases. So if I've purchased on Instacart in the past, all those purchases will show up in my previously purchased list and I'll be encouraged to pick items from that list again. So if I'm doing a weekly shop, Instacart will prompt me, hey, you usually buy this brand of yogurt when you're shopping from this retailer, do you want to add this to your cart? So it's very reliant on repeat purchases or it drives repeat purchases. And the stat that I can share on that is 20 to 25% of Instacart shopping activity actually comes from repurchasing. So that is if you're a brand and you can get into someone's cart and purchase before list, then you've got a good chance of that being a longer term repeat purchasing behavior. So that's obviously going to work best for products which are replenishable. So CPG products, beauty, pet suppliers, it's not going to work so well for high-end electronics, things like that. So it's going to depend a little bit on the category and the replenishment cycle of that, if any. But in general, certainly all the brands that we interviewed for this book counted Instacart as one of, if not the most effective media platforms that they operate in terms of return on investment. Wow. 
And I suppose just listening to what you were saying and that amazing stat about 20 to 25% of activity coming from repeat purchases, that I suppose the message for brands also is you need to get in early. If you're thinking about potentially investing in Instacart, you need to start acting now. Mm -hmm. So let's dive into a little bit more detail on the practicalities of actually managing your presence on Instacart as a brand. And you've already touched on this and the fact that this is very much driven by the retainer relationship. But of course, multinational brands, leading brands will be using syndicating technology like a PIM and digital shelf analytics to monitor and update their digital content, including things like SEO keywords, pricing and availability. How relevant is this tech stack when you're working with Instacart? I think it's a great question. And this is one of the challenges with publishing a book about Instacart is it's going to be out of date very quickly. (laughs) And, And we knew that when we published it. We're talking about a technology platform here. We published it back in January and things have already changed. And this is an area where there's the potential for Instacart to be the most dynamic, which is around integrations with third-party solutions and opening up their product catalog API to allow brands to provide more accurate product information. And this is a big challenge that Instacart has, in my view, is by relying on the retailers to provide product information and separately product inventory information, they're losing potentially great content that brands would be able to supply. So while reviewing the book, one of the early readers pointed out it was a bag of chips on Instacart that had in the product title that it was a certain size and in the image it showed a different size. And so you wouldn't know as a customer which size bag of chip you were going to get. And that is a pretty innocuous example, but it does lead to customer frustration. Maybe I just would never have purchased that. And it does also have more serious implications when you think about things like allergen information Mm. or higher priced products where you're going to be considering that purchase a little bit more. So I think the ideal state for Instacart should really be getting that product information from the brands directly, which is going to require more wider acceptance of solutions that will feed that data in and allow brands to manage catalogue information, product information. And you said you've already seen some changes since the book came out in January. What kind of evidence have you seen that the Instacart is perhaps exploring some of this or is is becoming more open to allowing brands to have greater control over the content that is published? We've seen more changes on the advertising platform, more placement opportunities, different sort of branding and um, activation opportunities. So that's a big opportunity for Instacart to produce a very profitable revenue stream. Advertising is profitable for all of these retailers. So that's where we've seen the most changes. I haven't seen if there's been any recent announcements around product content. But your expectation is that as they they move forward, they are going to potentially make it easier for brands to have control over this? I think that that would be the right move. Mm. What do you think has stopped them today? Is this around technical complexity or is there an ideological barrier, if you will, that would make Instacart reluctant to allow brands direct access and control? That is a very good question. I think the first priority for Instacart has been to build that partnership with retailers. So Instacart 
is really reliant on those retailer partnerships and having those retailers be bought into the Instacart story. What we have seen is some retailers in the media talking about challenges that they've had with the Instacart model around their model is to take a certain percentage of sales from the retailers as a fee. And for some retailers, they pass that fee on to the end customer and Costco does that. And other retailers absorb that cost. So for the ones that absorb that fee, their margins on Instacart orders are are not great. They're certainly worse than a customer walking into the store. So there's a little bit of tension now, which has probably always existed to some degree. There's tension between Instacart and the retailers. Mm. And so I think that to a certain degree, decisions that are made by Instacart might be influenced by keeping that relationship with retailers as positive and productive as possible. Yeah, I'm not sure if that could be a reason behind allowing the retailers to provide that product information. That's one theory. (laughs) I think it might be a legacy of how the platform was built. It wasn't really built with the brands in mind. It was really Instacart building this platform with retailers as partners. And the brands coming in as advertisers has been a relatively recent thing, at least at scale, has been a relatively recent thing. Got it. And you just mentioned this really interesting example where there was a brand of chips or a chips product where the the product weight was wrong. Just talk us through your experience of how to best handle and fix any content issues if needed. How should brands approach this with their retailers? Yes. So getting the information corrected with the retailer would be the ideal solution there. And this is where there needs to be a commitment to investing in Instacart from the brand because you're going to want to understand inventory availability amongst your retailers and that the product information is correct so that you can lean on them to correct that. From an advertising perspective, if you're out of stock with a retailer somewhere, then those ads will turn off. But if there's incorrect product information... (laughs) <laughs> those products are still going to show to show mm. up. Yeah, working with the retailer is probably the best course of action there. And then also Instacart is building a relationship with a lot of brands. They want to entice brands to start advertising on the platform. And so it could be if you've got a contact at Instacart as well, it could be worth reaching out to them as well. But the retailers are typically going to have the control over the feed and pointing the errors out to them. The retailer also has a stake in the game because if product information is wrong, then that's going to be coming back to them at some point in the future. Of course. What do we know about Instacart's search algorithms? Can you just talk us through some SEO optimization tactics that brands should have on their radar? There's two main pillars to Instacart's search algorithm, fulfillment and search and personalization. Fulfillment is the product availability and is that product in stock in your zip code? Instacart's going to check across the retail partners to see is that item in stock. There's a replacement recommendation model as well. So if I'm searching for my favourite yoghurt but that's not available, Instacart's going to recommend a competitor to me as well. So that's another reason why you want to be familiar with 
in-stock rates and availability amongst your retail partners to make sure that that doesn't happen. And then the second piece is search and personalization. So again, a great deal of purchasing comes from repeat purchases. And Kiri, what are some of the opportunities for smaller brands in that level of personalization that Instacart does around search results? I think the main opportunity there is if your competitors are not in stock or they're not really active advertising on Instacart, then you have an opportunity to conquest them, use their brand search terms and things like that. It's a question of how active are your competitors and how extensive are their sort of bidding tactics. And thinking about CPG portfolios more generally, which products should be advertised or prioritised for search performance? Is it about promoting the entire portfolio? Is it about focusing on top performing products? What have you seen work? It's going to really depend on the brand's objectives. So if they're wanting to maintain a position for their top sellers or if there's new products that they're wanting to to highlight there, it's really going to come down to the brand's objectives there, what that strategy looks like. And you've already mentioned that Instacart now does have a self-service ad platform. How does it work and how does it compare to other self-service ad platforms that our listeners might be familiar with? So Instacart has attracted a lot of ex-Amazon advertising executives over to their advertising group. So I expect to see Instacart build their ad platform out in such a way that brings the best of Amazon over to Instacart where it makes sense. Right now, the search capabilities are fairly basic. Like I said, they are providing a really good return on investment, but there's less targeting options and bidding options than you would find on an Amazon, for example, right now. Got it. And what are some of the actual ad formats that brands can invest in at the moment? So the ad format is called Featured Products. This is the ad format that is self-serve. So this is pretty bottom-of-funnel transaction-level advertising. Keyword-targeted ads, they show up amongst the organic results once you search for a product. So if you search for Greek yogurt, I might be bidding on that search term, Greek yogurt, and my ad will show up amongst the organic search results there. That's what it is right now. I think that there's going to be a lot more options rolled out in the future as Instacart continues to develop its retail media platform. Got it. And how much do brands typically invest in Instacart at the moment? And how much do you recommend they invest? It's a tricky question to answer. It's going to depend a lot on the brand, what their appetite is to grow on Instacart, what we've seen so far being a pretty new ad platform is that brands are investing what they would consider like their innovation fund to be, whatever they would spend on experimenting with a new channel. So compared to an Amazon or other existing accounts, which are larger and proven and have a a track record of an ROI, brands are not allocating nearly as much money to Instacart as they are for those more established channels. But it's impossible to give a range, really. It's going to depend on the brand and where they're at in their view of Instacart. So, Kiri, what do you think, then, is the single biggest challenge brands need to overcome if they want to succeed on Instacart in 2021? 
it comes back to something that we discussed earlier around where Instacart sits within an organisation. You've got sales from Instacart showing up within a retailer account, let's say Kroger or Costco. Those sales are going to show up in that retailer account on the brand's P&L. But media spend, because it's a digital channel, often gets allocated to the e-commerce team or the digital team. So that's an open loop within a brand on where that money was spent and how it was actually realized. So that is the biggest challenge that we found amongst the brands that we spoke to was how to rationalize that open loop and bring those two teams together and create shared goals and outcomes that are going to suit this pretty unique platform. What are your expectations around Instacart's growth more generally? Is your expectation that they are going to be able to sustain their current growth rate? The data so far suggests that consumers have developed pretty sticky habits around online grocery shopping. So I think that when you think about that 85% footprint across the US, where are they going to grow? I think that Instacart has already shown that they're interested in moving into different verticals like electronics and beauty as they have so far. So I think that we could see more of that and we could see Instacart become more of a, a player in categories that we haven't seen them be active in. This is what I would recommend to Instacart if I could is the grocers who are figuring out what's their value add in the market in the next 10 years. A lot of them are looking at Instacart and thinking this is perhaps not the long-term solution to a need that the market has around online grocery ordering. They would rather have that direct relationship with the customer and in its current form, Instacart doesn't offer that. So I think that there is a possibility that Instacart could offer a white label solution to retailers whereby the retailer gets to maintain that relationship with the end customer and Instacart is providing the back end infrastructure to enable that transaction and fulfillment. That's really interesting. I mean, there's been a fair bit of speculation recently, hasn't there, about precisely that and whether Instacart could essentially be primed to invest in in, in some of its own fulfillment capabilities. Given what you've said before about just how central to its model that relationship with the retailer is, you wouldn't expect them to do anything where they would be competing head on with retailers, would you? No, I wouldn't. That would be a a huge um, reversal of their strategy so far of aligning with those retail partners. Got it. Now, we like to finish our episodes by asking our guests to highlight one essential piece of advice that they'd like to give to our listeners. And we'll call this your hashtag 20 second smarts. So Kiri, what's your one essential piece of advice on how CPG brands can win on Instacart? I think the trick is to get started early. There's long-term rewards for getting into that shopper's cart right now. Brilliant. And before we wrap up, can you tell our listeners where they can get your book, Instacart for CMOs, and also where they can best connect with you? Yeah, well, ironically, the best place to buy the book is on Amazon. (laughs) So just search for Instacart for CMOs on Amazon, wherever you're located, Amazon, US, UK, wherever you are. And the best way to connect with me personally is on LinkedIn, Kiri Masters. And my company, Bobsled Marketing, helps brands to grow their Amazon 
Instacart and Walmart sales channels as well. So you can find us at bobsledmarketing.com. Brilliant. Kiri, thanks so much for being our guest and thank you for a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much, Julia. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Digital Shelfcast from eFundamentals, the only podcast dedicated to helping growth-driven CPGs win online. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and got some useful tips for how to navigate your brand's success on the digital shelf. If your brand faces a particular online challenge, or you want to learn more about leveraging digital shelf analytics to fuel growth, then why not book a free consultation with the eFundamentals team? Simply visit efundamentals.com forward slash podcast and book your free consultation. You'll also find the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, we'd also appreciate it if you could give us a rating and leave a review. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.